Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to The Shapes of Stories, a podcast with me, Lawrence Prestige, as your host. Stories come in all shapes and sizes, whether it be from our favourite books, our life experiences, or the day-to-day challenges and issues we face in the world today. So in this episode of The Shapes of Stories, we're joined by Miranda Raison, and I had a really great chat with Miranda. Um, I mean, she has been in lots of different programmes, from Spooks to, to Warrior, um, to Doctor Who... You know, she's been in some really awesome programs and we talk about the programs that she's been on. We talk about her career. We talked about a lot of things. We covered quite a lot of top topics. Um, you know, she was quite open about her um, battles of alcohol, you know, which I could relate to to some extent, you know. Um, yeah, really refreshing to talk to Miranda. It was like talking to a mate, to be honest. Never met her before, but we just had a really great chat, you know, really very flowing, free-flowing conversation. Um, yeah, really... Uh, really enjoyed having her on and much love to her and her family as we go through these difficult times right now um but yeah without further ado here's my chat with miranda raisin miranda how are you hello very well thank you very much how are you doing I'm doing good. Uh, good. I suppose, what's this year been like for you? It's been a weird one. It has been a weird one. I mean, we definitely in, um, God, whenever it was, March, had that kind of slightly wartime hunker down, you know, uh, candlelit Zoom meetings and quizzes with friends and, you know, aren't we lucky to have each other as a family? And I don't know, we we all went through that phase of kind of... um, I know excitement's the wrong feeling, but I suppose a bit railway children, you know. <laughs> and then there was this kind of, I think probably, I could just call it boredom, that crept in, you know, where you're kind of thinking, well, we're all well, and what, you know, what's really going on in the world? And can we really trust what people are telling us? And I don't mean sort of conspiracy stuff. I mean, can we, you know, just trust the rules we're being given? Um, and you know, I want to have a coffee with my friends and I want to sit and eat some pasta in a restaurant, you know, that kind of thing. And then I think everything's sort of now sunk into, um, a sort of weird, weird acceptance. My, my mother is uh, immune compromised and, and doesn't live far away from where we are. So we've sort of had to, um, you know, be quite good on, on, on rules and things and, and just kind of accept that this is how things are for a while. How about you? Yeah, yeah no, not too bad. I kind of feel like I'm I'm at the biggest circus, to be honest. I mean, it's just a bit, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of clowns for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's it's just it went. It's just never ending. It's just like I feel like yeah. sort of singing the Greatest Showman soundtrack. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just it's all just a bit crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it I mean, is. How, what have you been doing to sort of keep yourself busy? I suppose this year, like so especially I've, in lockdown. Yeah, I've been. I was fortunate in that just by chance, I, so we live sort of half the time in London, but we also have a house in Suffolk, um, a cottage in Suffolk. And, and I um, had just set up a voiceover studio here, which is really a, a, a posh way of saying like it's a bedroom, which has been turned into something else. Um, and uh, and I'd sort of done that before lockdown. And my my 
voiceover agency just didn't have many, if any, female clients who had their own home studio. So they had a lot of boys who could work, a lot of men. Um, and and suddenly I was kind of doing three or four a day and doing lots of all kind you know, um, documentaries. And, I mean, I do lots of voiceover anyway, but uh, I was very, very busy. And it also luckily kind of kept the wolf from the door as well. Um, and my husband works in computers, so he's sort of, things haven't changed that much for him. He can work a lot remotely. And our daughter's kept on at preschool. So, it, you know, actually that the sort of keeping keeping busy hasn't been too much of a challenge. What we found difficult is separating um, work at home from, from life at home, um, you know, and having those clear boundaries of, you know, now is a break. Now we're going to eat together. Now we're going to go for a walk, you know, because at the beginning, a few times, certainly I found myself, um, I wouldn't tell this to my employers particularly, but, you know, doing a voiceover still in my kind of pajama bottoms, you know, um, and then a job would sort of turn into another job or something would go on a bit. And before you know it, it's kind of half past 12 and you're feeling like, you know, you, you haven't sort of had a breath of fresh air or, or changed your environment enough to, to keep, you know, to yeah. keep feeling well, really. Yeah. Did you have to sort of devise a new routine for yourself over this year? Yeah. Sort of keep that discipline of the boundaries that you talk about. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, so my husband, who I suppose I keep talking about because we just spend all our time together at the moment, but you know, <laughs> yeah. we, and he's, he's a, a, as well as working, he's an athlete and he's, um, he's a, a f- fences on the, um, he's, on the Scottish fencing team um, and uh, has, you know, been to the Commonwealth and all sorts. So, so being an athlete, he's got this incredible naturally inbuilt regimen of like the things he does when he wakes up, he runs 5k every morning and then does his workout and his workout is different things every day to keep the, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm not like that, but I have learned over the last few months, I've suddenly realized through spending time with him, how much that does for his brain you know it's an incredible thing he's he's also a list maker and a kind of um yeah he just lives in 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 quite an ordered way and I think a lot of the time people um obviously it's not a blanket rule but in my industry you know uh you know actors in general can be quite um or artistically temperamented people can be quite sort of um oh well I just live day by day and see where life takes me and um you know, follow the mood, follow the vibe, which has its benefits. But I think it can also be something that can, um, as somebody has said to me, um, a good friend has said to me many times, you know, you can move to change a thought. You can't think to change a thought. And I see, for me, the people who've sort of done best in all this are the ones who are really good at moving to change a thought. They don't wait until they feel different before getting on with doing something. You kind yeah, so of... It's a bit like masking. Yeah. yeah yes yeah mm. so yeah, yeah. The, the, just do the action fake it to make it whatever it is just do the action and the the, the behavior or the feeling will follow um yeah so so in terms of for me concrete routine I, I uh you know we have obviously our daughter's school hours and sort of certain things but I do a, a brilliant um meditation uh what well, I think it's brilliant, uh, an app um, called Waking Up by Sam Harris. I don't know if you know that yes. one. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. It's yeah. great. And he's very, um, 
you know, he was with kind of Christopher Hitchens and um, Richard Dawkins, and he's one of the kind of four horsemen kind of of atheism. And even though he doesn't talk about atheism on his podcast, it just means that his meditations are very, you know, that it's it's it sort of doesn't require a particular religious belief or anything, or, or, or um, it's it's not wildly cosmic. It's just very accessible. I feel. Um, yeah. a very accessible way of of kind of bringing yourself into the present and also it's a really practical app so it has like the 10 minute version or the 20 minute version or you know um and that's been a very good way to start the day uh and yeah I mean gosh I don't know there are probably lots of things but I don't want to bang on too <laughs> well, much well you you keep off social media don't you you don't really use social media is that because like you're just too busy with everything that's going on in sort of your life or is there a reason because it can be I find especially this year is a really negative horrible place and it it can if you spend too long on social media it does it can really affect your day yes. and, your, and your mood so is, is there a reason that you sort of decided not to have the the twitters the instagrams the facebooks or things like this yeah, th- definitely. I, it never felt, I just never felt that I w- was suited to it. Um, when I first started sort of, it was actually after I started on, on Spooks, which is a long time ago now, it's 2005, and I started being kind of recognised on the tube and that kind of thing. And it was also, yeah. <laughs> you know, quite early on, really, in the sort of Google, Googling had only just become a verb, you know. Um, and and I I remember kind of, googling myself you know quite early on and kind of looking up things people say all do it um well you know and seeing things um you know that that were kind of uh, upsetting or nice or whatever and just being so affected by them um and then when and then when Facebook, I suppose Facebook must already have existed but anyway I suppose when it was sort of something that everybody was doing um I just found I, I get it, you know. I don't sort of feel great judgment for people who are who are who are on social media, but right from the Facebook era, I suppose I, I just thought uh, I don't want those reviews. <laughs> it's none of my business what other people think of me. You know, I'm not the first person to say that. But um, and even just from a sort of keeping in touch point of view, I find um, I get forwarded. So we have family WhatsApp groups. And because my one of my brothers especially is like really annoyed by the fact I'm not on Instagram because he's like, oh, you know, we're, we're, every, we're all on there. You know, we're all just sending pictures of everything. Like just be on it. And, you know, you'd have to be you, be on it as a fake name and just see what we're all posting. Um, I find I see these brilliant pictures that, that the family put on the WhatsApp groups because they know I'm not on social media. Um, and then I talk to those family members, brothers, sisters, cousins, and find that that life is just not as it appears in the pictures. And that doesn't mean, you know, that they're lying or that it's not okay to send a pretty picture of your, but I sort of feel if, if, if somebody wants me to see a picture of their child, as I do with my daughter or a picture of something they've done or hear a thought they have, that can come up over coffee or it can come, or they can just send it to me if it really means something to them that I see it or that we share that moment, then it will be worth having that moment, if that makes sense. Which does sound like I'm being judgmental of social media. I genuinely, I think it, it probably is a brilliant thing for so many people and I think it's a lifeline for so many people. And I'm sure, you know, um, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, oh no, absolutely not. But I think it worries me more for sort of younger people because it, it, it kind of, I kind of get the vibe, especially on like Instagram, 
it's almost like everyone wants to be famous but not everyone wants to be t- rather than talented <laughs> it's like yeah. I'd rather just you know whatever it's like you know you get these shows these reality shows whether it be uh Love Islands and things like that and yeah. I think young people sort of see these people as a way almost as like I guess they're role models and who they want to strive to be like yeah. rather than wanting to learn a musical instrument or go to drama school or things like that it's like oh no if I get so many followers on Instagram then perhaps I'll be able to go on a reality TV show yes. and and become famous that way and I, and I, I worry that's the kind of message it sends out especially to, to young people yeah yeah I think I think that's very true and I think yeah, it's 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 a very um it's 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 a cycle of of thinking as well where if if people don't see you do something have you really done it? You know, uh, and that's you know, it could be a motivator. It could feasibly be something that you think, you know, well hang on, there are people watching my life. I need to do something with it. Um but at the same time uh yeah, that that just feeling that particularly when and I won't name names they're they're so obvious who they are but you know the big Instagram characters the people that seem to to have so much and and also are in many many cases incredibly dishonest about how they have what they have and why they look how they look and um and then people feel that unless they can be seen to be living up to those standards of that person who isn't really real or what they say they are anyway then somehow they've failed at I don't know, a benchmark that never existed. It, it's um it takes up a lot of a lot of a lot of people's time and lives and energy and um yeah, it's it's so hard, isn't it? Because of course we will all sound like real bores to kids, you know, when we say, you know, I'm really I'm worried for your mental health because I'm because they're like, get a you know, I'm on my phone. Shut up. <laughs> um yeah. but uh, you know, that they'll okay, I am gonna use the phrase in my day. In my day, we made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> when you know, I was I, your I, age. <laughs> when I was your age. I did a lot of stuff. I, I, you know, I went to a lot of schools. I got in a lot of trouble. I um, did too many of, you know, the wrong things. Um, uh, nobody was watching. I mean, apart from the odd teacher who caught me or the odd friend who I was doing things with, you know, it, it, it wasn't sort of, they weren't mistakes made hugely in public. But there was also space to be kind of pulled out of them somehow or to find my way out of the well. I feel now people's, uh, the well, the walls of the well are getting higher and higher and higher. And the chance for people to kind of see out the top of it and even be given a chance to know what they don't know um, is, is, is going to get harder and harder because, you know, people are distracted 24 hours a day. Exactly, yeah. I remember, I say it wasn't this year because we were able to do anything last year, so it must have been last year. Um, I was, I was, I think I was walking to Costa and there's this group of teenage girls sort of on their phones, four, about four of them, not saying a word to each other, but they're all, all these four friends on their phones, on the all same table, and then one just puts their head up and goes, I know, and I'm just like, whoa, where, <laughs> where did that come from? Like, oh what? <laughs> what is this um but yeah no it does uh it does you know it does worry me slightly because you know when I tour around schools and stuff you know back use it again back in my day it was always you wanted to what do you want to be when you're older I want to be a vet do I want to be a teacher and now it's I want to be an Instagram model I want to be a YouTuber and these are kids that like 10 years old that like say this to me when I'm sort of speaking to kids about 
talks and stuff so yeah it does it you know it does worry me a little bit yeah yeah <laughs> and then I suppose just to be devil's advocate as one has to be I suppose on a balanced you know conversation you know that that I'm I think that is certainly when I started acting um that was the thought for a lot of people who went into the arts it was like okay but what are you going to fall back on that's not a real thing okay fine so you want to be an actor great good for you um actually in fact my parents to be fair they were both kind of quite in the arts in their way so they they weren't really like that but a lot of actors and people I've worked with very much had the like okay but go to university do something learn the thing that's really going to be your job because you know acting is kind of pie in the sky and um you know maybe 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 the being an influencer is the new actor <laughs> maybe, maybe it is maybe did you find that at the start of your career when you were acting there when you used to say to people well actually I'm an actor and they kind of go oh you know that's cute oh yeah <laughs> yeah. It, yeah yeah because oh, I get that even, even when I say to people you know I'm a writer I'm an author they kind of go ah oh. but yeah. what would you really what would you really do like yes, you know exactly. when you're not, <laughs> it's like no no that's my thing that's what I do yeah just about <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, t- very much so and, and um the posher they were actually my, my mother is from especially kind of you know posh English kind of background really and lots of her friends you know in that kind of generation were you know what a brave how very brave you know uh, that, that kind of used to really annoy me the brave thing and the kind of um uh well it's you know it's good to have a bash you know uh, I was like you know this is this is my dream what are you doing you know and actually the um I don't know that but it's like anything isn't it the proof is is that as soon as you stop feeling you need to prove it you've kind of done it by the time you're you're doing it and living your life. You no longer feel the need to kind of feel annoyed with people or, or, or want to show them, see what I've done, see what I've accomplished, you know, because actually you've just carried on. And um, and I think, yeah, the, I don't know. There, there was, um, I don't know if you've read a book by Amy Poehler, who, you know, Parks and Rec. Uh, know the book, but no, yeah. I read it. So, yeah, so she, she wrote a book called um, Yes, Please. And in it, she talks about um, the industry being like a bad boyfriend she's like you know as soon as you sort of stop uh chasing him (laughs) he'll want you as soon as you're interested in somebody else or something else he'll want you um and I think that that for me has been a big part of of kind of my journey as an actor has been you know that beginning thing of like this is my dream you know which was exactly the same as kids saying I want to be famous you know fame wasn't my main drive but it was still like I'm going to be a success. I'm going to be the youngest ever Oscar winner, um, which obviously still hasn't happened. Um, you know, I, I'm going to, I have to make it, whatever that means, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I was busy and I got work, but it was really only when I started to kind of think, oh, hang on, there's a world, <laughs> there's a world outside. And, you know, maybe I'd like to learn the language and maybe I'd like to, you know, m- maybe think about other people now and again. That, that things actually started to kind of, um, I still haven't won an Oscar, obviously, but, um, you know, that, that... One day. That, yeah, one day, one day. One Why day. not? Why not? Yes. Yeah. So when so when did you sort of your acting career begin, I guess? Like, were you, as a child, were you always interested in acting and theatre and, and things like that and performing or...? Yeah, so I was always in trouble. Um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, just was, was like so many kids are, you know, that kind of... Um, uh, Hard, you know, didn't have anything to really channel things into. Um, I suppose is is how we'd phrase it now. And you know, and I was 
uh, I was asked to leave a couple of schools and, you know, um, and when, when my mother said, you know, no, no, she really likes it here. You know, they, they say, you know, we, we think she'd be happier somewhere else. Uh, no, she, 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 she's, you know, she's all right here. No, no. <laughs> um, and, I don't think uh, you're getting what I'm saying. I, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and actually, um, so my mother was a newsreader in the 80s. She was a newsreader for Anglia mm-hmm. Television. And I used to sometimes, um, age sort of five or six, go into the studio with her. And they were very sweet. You know, it was proper 80s, like everybody was smoking. It was all men, all men, coffee and cigarettes and wires everywhere. And, um, and uh, I remember sort of being put in her news reading chair, um, you know, on more than one occasion. And they'd kind of, you know, you could see yourself on the monitor and they'd like pretend to put makeup on me. And, and that didn't make me want to be an actor. But it, when, when I first got into filming, I was like, oh my God, this is that smell. This is not the cigarettes <laughs> anymore. But, you know, this is that kind of vibe that I didn't realize I was chasing. Um, and then, you know, just the, 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 the sort of school plays aspect of it, like so many kids, you know, as soon as I discovered theater and drama and it was like, it was just magic. Um, and there were those brilliant, you know, um, Lambda badges and things that were kind of exams outside school exams, you know, that you could do. And they'd bring in outside parties to come and judge you. And, you know, they'd say, oh, you could do this as a living. Or, you know, they were very encouraging those kind of things. And um, they're so important for, for kids, I think, all that kind of, I don't know if it's still carrying on on Zoom for them, but, you know, that the, those... Um, those external people who come into your school environment where everybody knows you and they know you as the naughty one. Um, and then suddenly, uh, you know, somebody comes along and, and they don't know you as the naughty one. They just think you're good at what you're trying to do. Um, and uh, anyway, yeah. So, so, so then I went to drama school, age 17. I did my A-levels young, actually. Not that I was especially bright. I was just precocious, I think. But anyway, I, 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 did my, I started my sixth form at 15. Did my uh, started drama school at seventeen, and then got an agent from drama school, and kind of went from there. Yeah, yeah. that's great. So, what was your experience at drama school like? Because I think from pe- different people that I've spoke to about their experience at drama school, it, it tends to differ a little bit. Sometimes I feel like people sound like they need therapy when they come out of drama school. I don't know what it was like yeah. for you. But like, do you think that's something that needs to kind of be offered? I guess it's, thinking about it in particular, it seems for women, it's probably a different experience, like a a very um, tougher experience perhaps than some of the guys have to deal with it yeah so so I think firstly I went to a drama school that um called Weber Douglas which was a very like traditional you know there are kind of there were newer ones that were a bit more avant-garde where you heard about people having to kind of you know run around naked and you know sort of be comfortable with their bodies that kind of thing my drama school wasn't like that it was much more sort of in South Kensington it was very sort of um yeah traditional um so I didn't, I didn't so much feel that I needed therapy when I left, although there was, and I believe still is, quite an ethos of um, we need to knock you down a peg or two before, um, before building you up again. And I'm not sure that that is, I mean, I didn't kind of fall apart, but there were quite a lot of people who found that sort of environment difficult. The, just the assumption that you're young, therefore you're arrogant. And if you're self-confident, in in how you express yourself that means you're confident in my experience they they can be completely one can mean they can mean the opposite you know it can that that you can be 
the most sort of outgoing, loud person and inside be totally sort of dying of timidity and, and low self-esteem. So I think a lot of drama schools have got that historically very wrong um, and they break people down and they never really get built up again and then they graduate. <laughs> you know? um, uh, so, yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I overall, I suppose, had a, had a good experience. Um, had a good experience, yeah, and and met some good people and and have retained a couple of good friends from there and and we had some wonderful teachers and um, uh, and also it was it was a good it was the way to get an agent you know you couldn't really bang on somebody's door and say hi please take me on you know it had, they had to come and see you and the opportunity arose at drama school. You know. Yeah, it never really was ever get catty at all at drama school. Any experiences like that with with uh, whether you were sort of competing for a part against someone or agent or anything like that? Yes, was always like okay, camera. Yes, yeah. there was cattiness, and actually we did several plays. Um, you know, the kind of and I did. I played Sally Bowles in Cabaret, um, and then had another big part in something I can't remember what it was. And then I was cast as Abigail in The Crucible, and a group of girls. I have to say, who weren't, especially my friends, went to the principal's office and said, it's really unfair. <laughs> She's been given too many leads. And um, and he said to them, you know, something I think not right. He sort of put them in their place a bit and said, you know, work harder. Um, but it, it certainly it was uh, an environment, understandably, completely understandably, of, of competitiveness and, and eating disorders. You know, I mean, th- those cliches are... They are true um, uh, in a lot of cases, um, but it's also a profession that attracts a lot of people who uh, are, if you know, if it's not of sort of too much of a broad expression to use, who are kind of trying to find themselves. You know, it's it's some. There are a lot of very fragile people who um, who go into that you know that world. Yeah. Yeah, for someone that's done theatre, uh, are you sort of worried about like how theatre reemerges sort of post COVID? I suppose, like, I, I guess theatre will always be there, but in terms of just, I guess, the people all involved in the industry, it's desperate. It's an absolutely desperate situation. Um, you know, the majority of actors don't live on on you know financially don't live on on filming work or voiceover work they live on what they earn in the theatre and it's a hard graft and it's a life they've chosen and it's the life of an artist and it's it, it's it's a huge um it's a huge plunge to take but they really you know the people I've worked with in the theatre both you know on stage and and um, behind the scenes are a, a tough breed of um of, of of real workers who are so passionate in what they're doing and that's been taken away and they are also it is being implied by certain facets of the government that they should retrain or that you know maybe that you know rather than anyway it, it it's 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 desperately um sad desperately difficult incredibly anger making for so many people and yet there isn't really a simple solution. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen. People are still doing their best to, you know, tell stories. I did for the, for the um, German Street Theatre, 
a couple of months ago, I did along with 76 other actors, we did a, a 12 hour reading of the Odyssey um, to, you know, to, to raise money for the, for the theatre. And, um, and it was, it was obviously it was all online and it wasn't the same as being on stage, but it was like, you could really feel everybody's desire and need to kind of as pretentious as it might sound to sort of keep telling stories and, and, um, and using their voices, you know. No, absolutely well I'm, see, I'm from Stratford up on Avon so obviously we have the RSC hey. and, see, and seeing that just kind of not being able to thrive and the tourism coming in yeah. um, is uh, are know, they doing uh, anything there are they doing a bit uh, some shows they have been doing a bit obviously because you have the the gardens as well but obviously because of the weather it's not been yeah. as much but bit, I haven't seen too much going on um, but you know we'll, we'll see what you know hopefully so because Stratford's in tier three you see so we're not allowed to anything uh, on at the minute yeah yeah so nothing's happening just at the minute but yeah been doing a couple bits outside um not a couple of maybe a few weeks ago I saw something outside but yeah hopefully it's something that you know be able to thrive again have you ever done any you've yeah. done some Shakespeare before haven't you I have yeah at Shakespeare's yeah, yeah. Globe um yeah I did uh, Henry VIII at Shakespeare's Globe and I played Desdemona and Othello um at the Theatre World in York and um Oh, others too, I can't think. But yeah, as you like it at um, Clifton. Yeah, so um, I haven't done West End. Oh, yes, I have. Winter's Tale I did with Judy Dench and Kenneth Branagh and I played Hermione and um, Kenneth Branagh played Leontes and and, uh, and Judy Dench as Paulina. That was, that was amazing. I mean, that was an extraordinary experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, she's a patron at the Shakespeare... Of you, course. Know, you always see you always see Judy Dench stuff around Stratford, so yeah, yeah I know she, she's involved in the Shakespeare world quite a lot. She's a, um, a living been legend. Working with her, Extra- extraordinary. She's totally, she's absolutely everything that you would hope that she would be. You know, really funny, really naughty, really brilliant, kind, um, full of brilliant advice, but not in an advicey way. Um, you know, she's just awesome, completely awesome. And um, and I think everybody, yeah, you can't not, you can't not fall mad in love with her. Yeah. Did you enjoy your, do you enjoy the little Shakespeare, performing Shakespeare and things like that? I, I was 19 and I did a bit of Shakespeare. I didn't like the wearing the tights so much. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, even the directors going, you know, will someone get him a dagger, please? Thank you. Yeah, but it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was all right, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it depends on the play and the part and who you're doing it with. And I mean, you know, I've had a great time doing, uh, doing all sorts of things. But yeah, I, I, I love it. Um, uh, my favorite way of working, whether it's Shakespeare or whatever it is, is to be sort of trusted to get on with it um you know when you work with directors who are like let's spend the first three weeks playing trust games that's not so much that's not so much my thing whereas people like Kenneth Branagh or or John Dove who directed me at Shakespeare Globe um are very you know let's read it let's do it and you show us what you got you know, and, and, and of course they steer you, you know, it's not a case of just let me do it and please don't tell me anything different than my initial instinct. Of course you get directed, but, um, but, you know, just to, to kind of have that chance to express your understanding and your instinct um, is, is a great feeling. Yeah. Not the biggest fan of the drama games then. You're not the, I'm a tree 
No, <laughs> no, I've all, you know, I've always hated it. And therefore, I've always been terrible at it. You know, the, I think the more you hate it, the more uncomfortable you feel, the more sort of embarrassing you are to watch doing it. You know, I'm sure I, people felt as uncomfortable watching me do it as I felt doing it. You know, just it, no, can't, can't stand it. I'm not saying it doesn't have a place. You know, I, I'm sure it says a lot about me and that I might, you know, I need to... Uh, let go or something, but I just find myself cringing. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know what you mean. But for someone that's done theatre, film, and television, is there one of those outlets that you seem to really prefer to do? No, I would say the most um, wild moments I've had, like the mo- you know those moments where everything comes together and you just feel totally like you're in the right place at the right time, and they last about three seconds. Um, I had one of those moments at playing Anne Boleyn in Anne Boleyn at Shakespeare's Globe. Um, and the other most powerful moment was, was playing Hermione at the Garrick. So I suppose the, yeah, the, 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 the two most sort of um, uh, spiritual, uh, for want of a better word, feelings I've had um, have been doing theatre. But... Um, there is something that that filming gives you um apart from the fact it pays well which is not to be sniffed at you know that's a huge um thing really if we're honest um but also just that you you do get to have another go you know you do get to um to work with extraordinary people and you are realizing a vision together that ultimately you then have to let go of and not have you know when you're doing a play you know what you're giving people you can feel it you're there in the moment when you're filming you know what you're doing at the time but an editor can make anything of it a director producers you know you really are not at all in control of the final result I mean maybe you are if you're you know Leonardo DiCaprio but in my case I'm not in control of the final results so um you know, I have, I've watched things I've been in and been both pleasantly surprised and bitterly disappointed um, because of what's been done with them. Um, But, you know, you have to sort of keep it in the present, I suppose, and and if you're going to enjoy any of it. Um, So, yeah, the the, the short answer to your question is I don't particularly have a preference, but I think the the heightened moments in theatre are are unbeatable. Kind of give you that high and that sort of really <sighs> adrenaline, that adrenaline that you feel. It's probably not the same as when you're filming and start uh, in, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. That, the adrenaline on 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 stage of when something's really, you know, just when you're just hitting it. And 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 if you think, oh, I'm really hitting it, you're probably not as well. So that's a <laughs> lethal thing because it's not it's not those moments of being on stage and going, God, I'm good tonight. <laughs> it's not <laughs> at all because it, that genuinely, if you're having those kind of observations, the likelihood is you're a little bit off. It's these moments where you're just working together and the text and the audience and your fellow actors and everybody seems to be kind of in sync. And then you have these little moments, like I said, they're, they're probably not even three seconds long. They're just these moments. I, you know, I think you've probably had it writing, just those moments where you're like, ah, oh, you know, a sweet spot. You hit the sweet spot and then you've kind of lost it. Um, but, you know, it's an incredible feeling. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, for someone that you sort of said, I don't want to use the word bad, maybe a bit naughty, a bit of a cheeky teenager, um, and then going to drama school, um, was that when you went to drama school, was that kind of where 
your behaviour was able to change a bit and like you were able to, because you felt like perhaps you were able to express yourself more or were you just always a nightmare? <laughs> I was quite a nightmare. I, I think, um, yes, I was able to express myself more. Uh, and I, I, I wasn't, I don't think I was sort of a cow or, or, or you know, I was pretty good at being on time. And, and uh, I mean, not, not that's my definition of being a cow, aside from not being a cow. You know, sort of, I, I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't, you know, I was, I was, I worked hard. By the time I got to drama school, I'd kind of learned that, you know, you weren't going to go anywhere if you didn't work hard. Um, for me, the behavior genuinely didn't really change until I uh, stopped drinking in 2013. Um, and for me, um, letting go of, of alcohol and addictive behaviors, um, on an ongoing basis is is has been the key to my own in my own experience has been the key to to sort of my own um sense of well-being and everybody finding me a lot easier yeah no, <laughs> you know? I completely I completely relate to that especially you know I had the it's all these things like you know I, I don't want to sell ever alcoholic I wasn't someone that was like graving the bottle every day but it was just like whenever I would have a drink on a Friday or Saturday night. I'd be like, right, I need to drink as much as I can to give this, to have, you know, to be sociable and to kind yeah. of be, you know, and it just like, it's like a different side of your personality that you don't know exists, just kind yes. of creeps in and just takes over for a while. And then just, yeah, so kind of having that realisation, I think, and it takes a long time to have that realisation, <laughs> you know, you could yeah. be like, oh, you know what, I'll, do? I'll just drink a little, I'll just drink a little less and uh, it'll be yeah. okay. But it's, you know, I'm a functioning drinker. I can do it. Yeah. I just won't drink as much. And saying that's kind of like being an obese stripper. It's just not very pretty <laughs> for anyone. <laughs> um, and so you have, you know, you kind of have to have that acknowledgement that you know what, like maybe I'll have a couple at Christmas with my friends. But you know, I, yeah. it's not um, something that I'm going to let dictate my life so much and no. dictate relationships and di- dictate my mood. And it was, and it and it, yeah. it does, and. And uh, yeah, especially this year, I've kind of had to really look at my relationship with alcohol and be like, yeah. it's time to time to change it. And I, I think a lot of people have. Take, I think there's yeah. the, you know these lockdowns, and you know I think things have gone completely understandably um, through the roof for a lot of people. And I'm not saying they have for you, but just um, you know, it's 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 a it's an incredibly difficult one. And also the negotiation with it. You know, for me, the negotiation was always going to be how can I live with this man who beats me up? I mean, not if alcohol is the man, if you know what I mean. It was sort of like, how can I negotiate this abusive relationship? Which, you know, it just, get out of the relationship. But in my case, again, you know, I can only ever sort of um, uh, talk about my own experience um, because all our experiences are different. But for me, there, there was no way of, of having having it in my life that wasn't going to end up with me sort of um yeah uh yeah <laughs> yeah no no I, I get what you mean it's like you say like no one's saying like I'm absolutely not saying it either it's like we're not saying we're the experts of alcohol and you know how it affects people moods but you know you're the experts of your own story yes and you know you're that well I was there I was present anyway yeah, <laughs> yeah. um but, you know and you know and you can just kind of go what works for you and you know I think you just kind of 
it gets to a point where you have to acknowledge, am I happy like this? And if I'm not happy, what is this? What's having the negative effect? What yes. What are the factors that are really blocking me from that? And so you know, it's it's hard because you know when you're sort of out with your mates and having a good time and, and things like that, it's like, well, I have to drink, otherwise I'm going to be a boring twat and no one's going to want to talk to me. And, yeah. so, and so you feel like so you have to sort of fuel yourself up again to be sociable and to be a laugh. But um, it's not what it's not worth it, and I'm sure since you've stopped as well, like I suppose you, you feel a, a lot more at peace and in a, in a, such a better place. I do. I mean, for, you know, again, just for me, I was I was fortunate in a way that when I came to a point of stopping, um, I was so sure. I was so sure that even though I think even two days after I'd um, uh, sort of decided um I mean I had made the decision before but anyway two days into what has now become nearly eight years um I went to a premiere of something and I remember standing there with my fizzy water and just thinking I can do this I can do this I can do this and 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 it was very fortunate really um the desire had kind of gone and I and and then you know you I reached this amazing point at which I realized everybody else had kind of become a bit boring (laughs) And drunk and you know I was like okay and and kind of went home I remember sort of feeling like you know I was part of it and then uh, and and it was possible and and that hasn't been the whole experience all along you know because there are people who will miss the fact that you don't drink but again in my experience the only people who've really missed the fact that I don't drink are the people who drink a lot and friends of mine who do have in inverted commas a healthy relationship with alcohol or who just you know drink in the way they do um without it it being a problem for them couldn't couldn't care less what what I've got in front of me yeah Um, I think that's a good way to look about it give me yeah it gets to a stage when you when you wake up on a Sunday morning and you kind of I was looking and thinking why have I ordered two George Foreman grills and a cut out <laughs> and a, a, a cutout of Danny DeVito, like a life size cutout of Danny DeVito, and it's just it's just things like that. You was that think, a right, real okay. one? Did you have no, really well, <laughs> I managed to cancel the Danny DeVito life size cutout, <laughs> thankfully. But I was at university, and I don't know at the time. It just seemed that I needed not just one; I needed two George Foreman grills that came. So I gave someone to a uni housemate of mine. But yeah, it was I don't know why but at that point in time. It just these things happen. That is amazing. I love it. I mean, I hope it came with an Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, you I could see that you wanting twins life size cutouts, you know, Arnie and and Danny. Yeah. Uh how funny. I wonder. Yeah, well, why. I don't know if it's cause because I'm six four. I don't know if it was like I want to see oh, yeah. I don't I just want to see how we differ in size. And I'm yeah. trying, did I watch anything with Danny DeVito like the night before? I don't know. I have no well, idea. That's why I'm wondering. Maybe but, twins. Uh, that was the that was the yeah. um and it was the cardboard cutout film too, I remember, which will definitely have been before your time, like going around sort of blockbuster or primetime video no, and that there was being totally the tw- my time. Okay, good. The the twins yeah. cutouts, you know, the the um yeah. the Arnie and Arnie and Danny. Maybe you wanted to be Arnie. Maybe. Maybe that was your thinking. Maybe, yeah. He's a, he's a governor, isn't he? Oh, no, oh, he was the governor. Is he not any, he was, no. is he, He's not anymore. No, I don't think so. Of California. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember block, block, blockbusters. That's bringing back some. On a Friday night, you'd go to blockbuster. What film do you want to watch? I don't know. It was. Well, you remember the little Nicky Adam Sadler? I think yeah, it was like yeah, that. It was like, yeah. Get, get a little, get a little Nicky Adam Sadler. 
It'll get uh, Maltesers and yeah, yeah, bag of Haribo. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that was yeah. it. Yeah, blockbusters. How the world has changed. <laughs> but going back to being back in my day, we had to go to the video store to watch a yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I mean, you've done some pretty incredible television programs in Merlin, Doctor Who, uh, ex, um, and the others. <laughs> I was say, and others. Uh, Spooks, Warrior. Um, and, and of yeah. course, Thomas, I have to say Thomas and Friends as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of yeah. course. I was a math of Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, I keep trying to get uh, my daughter to watch it, but she couldn't care less. Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, <laughs> great. Is there a, a TV experience that you really, that you really, really do enjoy? Like that, that's like the show that you feel like, yeah, that, I've really enjoyed that. I mean, yeah. I'm sure all of them, but something that you really sort of define. I think there are, there are a lot of, um, of, of things, maybe not in every series. There's, you know, there probably are a couple of episodes, which you don't think are as strong as others, but um, Spotless, which is a series that I did for Canal Plus and, and Netflix on Netflix at the moment, if anybody wants to see it. Um, Spotless was, uh, 10 episodes and uh, it was a really I thought strong fun um you know it it was it was a a kind of discovery as we did it and it was it was it was great it was fun to make um and with a really good team and yeah and I just really liked liked the character um that I was playing Spooks was fantastic I mean I did it for five years and um, you know, I was ready to go by the time, by the time I left, but, uh, it was, it was, it came at a time when again, TV didn't work like it does now, you know, <laughs> it was, it was like Monday night, 9 PM. And basically, you know, 30% of the population or not 30%, but I mean, I think it had 12 million viewers or more on a Monday. Um, and so on a Tuesday you were famous and you were kind of, you know, and, and not just, oh, you know, that was you on telly last night, people coming up and going, oh my God, when the terrorist did this and, you know, what's going to happen to Adam or, you know, people were like so invested in it. Um, and, uh, and that was, that was, and, and it was London, you know, it was this kind of amazing, um, Again, it was so pretentious to, to, to say, but London was like a cast member, you know, that the, there was, everything was, you'd film on the London Eye, you'd film, you know, on the roofs of these incredible buildings, or you'd sort of close down the Millennium Bridge. And, you know, it was just this extraordinary, um, this extraordinary time. And I just don't think you could do that now, really, with a British drama. I might be wrong. Um, and uh, And then things that have just been a blast, like, filming vexed with toby stevens which um which was just you know the i mean it wasn't just the two of us there were other casts but you know he and i were the kind of um were the kind of leads and we we just spent you know a few months in dublin filming this like ridiculous comedy <laughs> you know and and just and he was so brilliant and such a such a fantastic actor and such great company he's kind of like the male judy dench he will be judy dench one day toby stevens um and uh you know and it was just a a hoot and I have such fond memories I don't know I don't think I've ever really hated a filming job I've done a couple of tricky plays that I thought oh I'll be looking forward to this finishing um but really filming is always sorry yes yeah, so have you ever worked with any like twats that have been hard to work with yes or they, yeah okay how yeah. is there a way you kind of I know you had that experience of drama school where you had the sort of sounds like lots of jealous girls because you got the lead and stuff but like how do you sort of deal with whether it be 
directors or performers or uh, cast members or I guess I guess how do you sort of deal with that do you have to is it is there a good way to keep your professional head on or is it tough sometimes when you do see perhaps people behave in a certain way whether it be too much of a diva or whether it be bullying or things like that like how yeah. I mean, how do you deal with things like that you know it's like the sort of metamorphosis of 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 natural roles anyway you know now I'm I'm an old lady you know and, and I feel I can kind of um I'm sort of not playing old ladies yet, but I feel like an old lady in my head. And, <laughs> and, and I sort of feel like I've seen it all. And generally, um, you know, that I, I know it's not getting to me when I can say things like, oh, well, you know, they're having a difficult day or, oh, well, you know, he's just insecure. You know, that, that's, that's the way to me now of kind of letting it go is to sort of show, have a bit of compassion, even if I think they're an absolute arse you know, have a bit of compassion and just kind of move on and say, well, you know, it's not my problem. Sometimes, sometimes, very rarely, people do make it your problem. People make their their insecurity or whatever it is that's making them behave in such a way um, everybody's problem and and it's miserable for the crew and it's miserable. But that, that's very rare. I, I think I've worked with maybe two or three people ever who've, who've had that kind of toxic effect on a production. Um, it's it's very rare and and you know compassion goes a long way because if you don't get uh swept up in the drama you find that that you know a lot of the time people who are maybe feeling a certain way might confide in you and and you find out that actually they are fearful or they are insecure but I stop saying the word insecure but you know it's normally I'm just saying it repetitively because it is often at the bottom of all this or they're fearful about something and uh, you become the person they can open up to now and again and that can be a help because then you can sort of I'm reluctant to use the word advice but you know you can just sort of um uh just yeah show a bit of of, of understanding having said that in certainly in my 20s when I was starting out there were things that got to me beyond belief you know there were things that um I just couldn't understand um you know or or, or being at at the end of bullying and not realize you're not realizing you're being bullied you know um and and just thinking that um they're saying these things to you because they're older and they know more um and actually you kind of go you get a bit older and go I would never say that to a 21 year old actor I would never you know anyway yeah yeah, I suppose. Have you seen a bit of like a of a transition in the industry as a performer, whether it be theatre and television and film, just in terms of the whole a couple of years ago with the Me Too movement and obviously with the Harvey Weinstein thing? I don't know if you've ever had. To, have you seen like there's been a big shift in in that sort of area with with um, the experiences that you might have had or seen? Yes, I think um, I think for better and worse, um, there I'm seeing a shift. So. Um, without question people are more aware of using words like kindness without irony you know it's it's becoming very important to you know yes often people say things that they regret um and they get into trouble for and maybe you can feel sorry for them on a level because they said it because they were feeling hot-headed or but actually the lesson I think is being learned that it, there is no excuse. Just don't say it until you know better, unless you know better. 
don't um don't take the low road ever never um and i i i think yes so i think people are are becoming even if it's a bit of an act to start with people are becoming um kinder to one another in the broad sense of the word and more aware of things in the certainly for the moment um having said that there are certain things that I find difficult like what I just filmed a series um which I loved filming um well we filmed it last year in South Africa called Warrior for HBO Max um and and my character uh was uh, is gay and and I have a relationship with a, a, a character called Artoy who's played by a brilliant gorgeous actress called Olivia Cheng and we were filming our scenes post you know um everything sort of a post Weinstein and so the the new directives to look after us were very extreme about whether we felt comfortable about how we to, were to shoot um sex scenes about you know and some of that I found personally very difficult because my natural thing is to make jokes you know I find and and actually luckily Olivia was similar we found our way was to kind of giggle through a lot of stuff and have a you know make make jokes out of it which we also sort of realized we were in a world where somehow our jokes could be offensive even though we, we we weren't saying we certainly we were joking with each other we were saying but you're suddenly you're I don't even know it wasn't that's not even the right way of saying it because I don't think she and I were worried about offending it's that we would start a joke and then if a crew member joined in or something you could see they were immediately fearful because they joined in and maybe maybe they might get in huge trouble or worse and and that would make us think, oh, God, you know, we mustn't have fun with this because, because if that becomes the vibe, then maybe that will be interpreted as something. Do you know what I mean? Something yeah, I inappropriate. That. Whereas all we wanted to do was film our scenes and have a good time at work, you yeah. know. And, and so I think that there is an element of, um, I think it's a very, very important that we are finding these balances. But certainly I've had a little bit of experience now of feeling that the balance is a little bit too fearful occasionally of of upsetting the apple cart you know but but for the right reasons for the right reasons no absolutely I mean so, so what are you kind of hoping for for 2021 in terms of work-wise fear I don't, I don't know what's the situation with theatre will be yeah. or have you got any sort of things lined up well, I'm supposed to be um, uh, filming something at the end of January, um, beginning of February. Um, I also filmed a pilot for something um, at the end of well, at the end of last year, this year, uh, sort of <laughs> November time. Um, and we will find out in March whether or not that's commissioned. Um, and uh, if so, then you know I'll be part of that. Um, and uh, you know, so so things are kind of they seem to be coming back a bit in, in, in the filming world. I have to say for theatre, um, there have been no calls. There's been nothing to say, you know, it's looking like such and such is going to start again. But there are, there are theatres. I mean, a friend of mine went to see something at Bath Theatre Royal the other day who I think were doing an, they were doing a Harold Pinter 
I think betrayal they were doing and um, it was absolutely you know the, the audience was socially distanced from one another the cast are living in a bubble you know they really had gone to extraordinary lengths to make it work and it was apparently absolutely brilliant so people will find a way because that's what's so um, brilliant about my industry your industry you know that people find people do find a way of, of um telling their story <laughs> oh yeah well even pantos we've got online pantos this year yeah right all, uh, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 there's, yeah. there's a, where there's a will there's a way i suppose the show yeah. goes on that's <laughs> it that's it yeah, yeah suddenly that expression means a lot more it's always been a bit of a joke expression you know the, the show must go on and the kind of cliche but but actually it's really being shown to be true um and it's 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 quite a moving thing actually when you see the length that people go to 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 put the show on yeah well I'm sure your show will continue to go on and thank you <laughs> so much for joining me today it's been really great thank chatting you. to you actually thank you thank you you too all right take care So there we have it, a great chat there with Miranda. Uh, could have spoke to her for so much longer, but I know she had um, her child's nativity play that she needed to to, to get to and watch. Um, so yeah, I hope that really went well. Um, but yes, really great having Miranda on. Be sure to check out her stuff. Lots of great TV programmes that she's been on, as you heard. Um, and be sure to follow us on Facebook. Be sure to follow us on Facebook under The Shapes of Stories, or you could follow my page on Lawrence Prestige. You could follow me and The Shapes of Stories on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is at LPrestige7, or you can follow the podcast Twitter at Shapes of Stories. And I'm also on Instagram under Prestige Books. But thank you so much, guys, for listening, and I'll see you again next time.